I'm Liz Hirshnoff-Tolley, and welcome to the Capital Coffee Connection podcast. And I am really excited because today we have a really special guest. The purpose of this podcast is to actually be able to meet with elected leaders and really learn about their heart and their humanity. We will not be talking about politics or policy. And my goal is for folks out there to listen, learn, and actually get to know who our elected leaders are. And through stories actually see that we have so much more in common. And by learning about each other, we can actually do so much more together. So I was thinking about the Congresswoman who I'm gonna be speaking with, and she's from Toledo, Ohio. And Toledo is a city that I've heard about my entire life. And I didn't realize that Toledo was the glass city. It's not just the glass capital of the country, but it's the glass capital of the world. And um, not just glass that we see, you know, on windows, but all forms of glass. But then I was also thinking, I grew up watching the TV show MASH. Yes. And Klinger was from Toledo, Ohio, and he kept talking about it with such enthusiasm. And I just always heard Toledo. And then was thinking about Batman and Robin. And Batman would always say, you know, holy Toledo to, as Robin would say, holy Toledo to Batman. So we are going to find out a little bit about all this today. But first, I would like to properly introduce Congresswoman Marcy Kaptur, who represents Ohio's 9th Congressional District. And you've been doing this for a few years. For a few years. And your district concludes Toledo East to Cleveland, Erie, Ottawa counties, parts of Cuyahoga, Lorraine, and Lucas counties. Well, they've changed it again. Again. Okay. Again. So what are Toledo, your counties? Because I think Toledo it's important. Toledo is the center. Okay. But now our district, uh, they've taken Cleveland away and Lorraine away, which is, sounds simple, but it takes part of your heart away, really. Yeah. And they put you in another area. The state of Ohio legislature does this just to make life difficult. <laughs> and we have about Sorry. eight counties now, and they're not all along the lake, though they largely drain into Lake Erie. And it goes all the way to the Indiana border. So we have Fulton. We have uh, Williams County. To the east, uh, we have Ottawa County, Erie County, Sandusky County, part of Wood County. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Lucas County is, is the big county. Yeah. So we have to introduce ourselves to new people and uh, try to uh, absorb what is happening in those communities. And it's different in each one. I'm sure new people to meet and new people to introduce yourself to. Yes. So I, I was joking when I said a few years. H how many years have you been a congressperson? I have been in office now 41 years. This is my 41st year. I'm the senior woman in the House. Right. And the longest serving woman in the history of both chambers. Wow. That's pretty impressive. That still doesn't match many of the men. Uh, you know, I'd have to go another couple decades. Uh, but nonetheless, for, for a woman, it is an achievement. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. It's been a privilege. Yeah. So let's just, we'll go, we'll keep going, but let's go back to like, talk about growing up because you grew up in, in Ohio, in Toledo, and talk about your parents because I think that people, you're of Polish descent. Yes. Second generation. Second generation. And what was it like to grow up and your parents were immigrants? Grandparents. Your grandparents were immigrants. Grandparents were immigrants uh, and uh, it was tough life. Uh, they didn't have it easy. They came at the turn of the century, but they were very enterprising uh, on our dad's side. Uh, they didn't really speak English, but they ran a little grocery store. Of course. And uh, then our dad and mom did that when my brother and I were growing up, uh -huh. my brother Steve. 
So we grew up in a family market. It was just such a great childhood. Oh my gosh. We got to go everywhere with dad. Mom would bake pies. Everything was homemade. Uh, the Jewish baker uh, would, shorty, he would bring the rye bread. Uh, we would go to the German uh, meat store and get some of the German meats, right? Dad would work with all the local farmers. So in looking back at my own life, I think it became very easy to meet people because he took us everywhere with him. I had a truck called Old Reliable. We used to bounce around on the rural roads. I love it. It was so wonderful, but it was such hard work. And your parents um, worked hard, and in some cases they had two jobs, I understand. Absolutely. Neither of them, uh, dad didn't graduate from high school, nor mom. So I was the first person in our family to go to high school, and they invested in our educations. Mom went on Social Security, and when she did, she finished her high school degree. Uh, she got her GED, and she should be in Congress, not me. Yeah. And our dad, I couldn't say he loved politics, but he paid attention. He always read the papers, mm -hmm. and when the conventions were on TV, he would put me on his lap. And even though I didn't know what was going on, I knew it was important because he did it. He, right. he watched it. So they were very, very attuned to what was happening outside the life of their family, even though they didn't have high school educations even. They were very well They were read. curious. They were thoughtful. Intellectually curious. Dad traveled. All of his brothers, I mean, they were all veterans. Uh, Dad was not a veteran. He was the youngest of 16. Uh, so he, was, oh so he wasn't drafted. He just made it, you know. But all the other brothers, way back to the um, Bolshevik Revolution, uh, one of our Marine uncles was shipped off uh, to white Russia. And so we learned about what was happening in the world through the lives of our families. Uh, we had World War I veterans, World War II veterans. Uh, we had Vietnam veterans, we had Korean War veterans, we had all these relatives. And so, serving our country. Serving our country. And I remember one uncle who, oh God, he was such a brave soldier. And he was in the OSS, <clears throat> and he was over in Asia, and in um, Burma. And I remember, I said, Uncle Tony, uh, how did you have the courage? He goes, hey, when you land in a parachute and you hit the ground, and they start shooting, you start shooting back. And he said, you know, he, and I, you know, as a young child, it was like, wow. And he was, he had good jokes. He was always of such good humor. Mm -hmm. And he had illnesses, malaria and so forth. He, his hands would shake from serving in our country. And I just couldn't get enough of what they had to tell me, what they taught me, what they taught me about the price of liberty. You can't, that's not anything you can get in a formal education. I got none of that in a formal education. Yes, I studied in college. I could read I about it but what they gave and what the wounds they brought home and that they never dwelt on those, that they led constructive lives. They, Uncle Skip, he couldn't hear, but I could, from being a D-Day right. and what he went through, the suffering, they never, they never really talked about that. But as I've grown older, I thought, oh my goodness. what, they, what they saw, what they saw, Uncle Pete, would sing songs to us from World War One, you know, and um, uh, what he endured, and he, they would make fun of it. Mm -hmm. But then when you really understood what they did, it was like, they hid it from us. But I learned so many lessons from them. Yeah, yeah so we have a, a very patriotic family. So I have a question, based on that, you also wanted to serve, and you <laughs> tried to join the Air Force, and I understand that you were rejected because you were a woman. Correct, I grew up during the 60s, and uh, nobody in our family had ever gone to college. And at the high school I went to, St. Ursula Academy in Ohio, um, 
we had career day and we would meet all these people. And so I decided to enlist in the Air Force and to go to college. I got a letter back saying that, um, well, good luck, but we don't admit women, you know. Oh, okay. So then I applied uh, to be in the FBI. I got rejected because I was a woman. woman. Yeah. And I, in going to college, I tried to get into Notre Dame University in those days. Because Dan knew there was a football yes. team. So he figured, you know, he'd come and see me and go to the football yeah. game. But they rejected me because I was a woman. And so, you know, it's like boom, boom, boom. But the people in Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin, mm -hmm. they helped give me a scholarship. And I went to the University of Wisconsin. So the Midwest, the Great Lakes people helped me. And I try to help them. Yeah. Because they invested in me. Yeah, and I think that brings up a really interesting point because a lot of women today, young women, don't realize the amount of people, the amount of uh, organizations, universities, and our military that were rejecting women. Yes. And it wasn't that long ago. It, yes. It's in our lifetimes. And so I think that, that that's why it's important to like bring up these stories, which is that we cannot rest on our laurels and we have to know what was fought for and okay. to appreciate it to keep fighting for more. That's my, and that's a day. And it's not a political thing. It's just about women having rights. Right, and understanding that you can grow to your full potential. Uh, when I became a member of Congress, we're allowed to make recommendations to the service academies. And the first person I appointed was a young woman from Toledo, Annalise Steele, who went on to be a captain mm -hmm. in the U.S. Army and uh, traveled the world and did very well. So now about 20% of our military is comprised of women. Amazing. Yeah. Just staying on the military, because I think there's another story which is important, is the work you did for the National World, World War II Memorial in D.C. And could you talk about it? Because it was one of your constituents that was the reason for it or the impetus for it. Yes, I was, um, I was at a fish fry for um, township trustees when I was first elected. This was during the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And a voice, I was holding my plate of fish to go take my seat, and this voice rang out across the crowd saying, Congresswoman Captor, why is there no World War II memorial in Washington, D.C.? And I thought, where is that voice coming from? And I looked in the distance, and here was this gentleman with spectacles, with silver rims, yeah. and uh, he was like, he looked like a bulldog. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, and everybody in the room stopped talking, and they focused on me, and it was like, oh my goodness. And I said, well, sir, um, I believe there is one. He goes, oh, yeah, what? And I said, um, Iwo Jima. He goes, wrong. That's to one branch, one service, and one battle. And I said, well, now, wait a minute. Um, wait a minute. Arlington, there must be. He goes, no, no. I've he been all done, around the world. He had done his homework. He had been everywhere in the world. He was a World War II vet who had served under Patton at the Battle of St. Lowe under in tank command. He had a gruff nature, but he had a golden heart. And his name I wrote down is just correct, Roger Durbina. D-U-R-B-I-N, Roger Durbin. Durbin, Roger Berkey, Durbin. Ohio. Okay. Berkey, Ohio, which is west of Toledo, mm -hmm. in my home county. And so an idea, this is how Congress should work. A person gives a member an idea, a constituent, and the, per, the member thinks, hmm, there might be merit to that idea. It took us 16 years, from 1987 until 2004, to dedicate. That's a whole book of yeah. aggravation yeah. and different yeah. things that happened. But we finally did it. And today now, 
95 million people I know. have gone to that memorial. So this idea that came from a constituent became the most important yes. memorial in the nation's capital to the greatest generation. I like to call them the most unselfish generation. I hear you. And that's kind of what the purpose of what we're trying to talk about is like people to understand that actually, again, it doesn't matter if you were had been a Republican or a Democrat, if you were a real good leader and somebody came to you and said, hey, there isn't this, and you then were maybe 16 years later able to bring it to fruition. And it is one of those things that people, when they go to DC, that is one of the first things they take children, young people, old people, they go to see. So I just like that there's this story that actually starts with somebody in Ohio and that it actually he was smart enough and he got you at that fish fry. Right. He'd been a letter carrier for 30 years and he really, and I was a history major and so I thought, well, I knew how much merit that had, but I couldn't believe it was missing. Yeah. And then I thought, that's my generation's job. Yes. Pay tribute to them. And For then was, other generations now to be able to learn and to understand. Yes, and that's you. one part of the yeah. memorial that's still missing. One of the pieces I couldn't get done, there were two pieces I couldn't get done, and one was a place on site where people who came could learn not just that the war was fought and how many states and territories yes. participated, but the reason for the war, what we fought against. It is a memorial to the victory of liberty over tyranny in the 20th century, but that is not well expressed on site. No. And that still bothers me. I'm still working after well, all these you, years. You have to keep going. I have we to need keep going. We've we got to get this done. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it's a good story. Now, I have a question, which is, you are Roman Catholic. And I just wonder, this isn't about religion, but this is about faith, my question. Because you had said the Roman Catholic faith is a central pillar for my being, particularly as an American of Polish heritage. Yes. What does that mean? It, it, because I think sometimes religion has been you know, take it off to mean something that people go, oh, wait, wait, wait. But I believe, and I've been talking with other electeds, and their faith is really important to who they are as leaders. Yes. Well, my faith grounds me in a certain philosophy. I don't try to push it. I just live by it. And um, Poland was a country that became the first place in Europe to outlaw serfdom. Uh, in the 1700s, after Tadeusz Kosciuszko and Kazimierz Pulaski came to America and helped Washington win the revolution, okay, the American Revolution. So they went back to Europe, Kosciuszko, and he helped in a place called Poniatz, Poland, to draft the Poniatz Declaration to outlaw serfdom. And for that crime, Poland was taken off the map of Europe until after the First World War for 125 years because he wanted to bring freedom, to not have slavery, to not have serfdom mm -hmm. in Europe. And so the country was divided between three adjoining nations and was not united until after World War I when Woodrow Wilson placed Poland back on the map of Europe. But then Poland was, the people there spoke three languages. They were just raising their next generation mm -hmm. of citizens. And it wasn't such an easy period of time in which yeah. to live. And then in 1939, they were invaded on September 1st by the uh, Nazi Reich and then three weeks later by uh, Soviets, by Stalin. And then they fell under subjugation until 1989 when they became, through solidarity and through decades of repression, uh, the first country to tripwire the fall of the Soviet Union. 
this is all in me, that understanding, yes. and uh, also the heritage of my own family. The Franciscan heritage is very important to me. We, Our dad's oldest sister was a Franciscan until age 95, and the philosophy of the Franciscans, I hope, imbues the denomination I'm a member of with full meaning. And it's a different, uh, very earth in um, universe calling and service to all. Service, service to, all. to all. and uh, Which is actually what a leader should be, service to all. Right, right. Because somebody may not vote for you, but once you're elected, you are then serving that person. So your right. service is to all. Right. And to children, especially who can't vote. I always think about that as like something that, you know, our elected leaders are is like they're not voted on by little kids, but you really are at the end of the day. That's who you're thinking about their well-being now and their well-being in the future. Nancy Pelosi always would say for the children. For the children. Exactly. So let me ask you this. What is the best advice you've ever received? What is the worst advice? I'm sure there's That's plenty a, of both. I haven't thought about that one. Uh, well, I have a lot of sayings from our own family from our mother, uh, thirst for knowledge. Thirst for knowledge. That was very important. Very well read, very thoughtful individual, beautiful handwriting, beautiful composition. Yes. And from our father, some advice like, it's not how uh, much you make, it's how much you save. And so dad <laughs> was very conscious of, you know, don't overextend yourself, don't, right. very thrifty, very conscious of holding it together and they, you know, bought the first home, the first property our family had ever owned. Yeah. Mom had been in 13 different homes as a kid. I mean, she was in the same family, but they rented. You know, they didn't have permanent shelter. And so uh, all of that history is in my mind as a member, and I see so many of the families I represent in the same situation. So I think that that advice uh, was very good advice. Yeah. Sayings like, the strongest deal goes through the hottest fire. Oh. Yeah. There are just lessons of life that, uh, that they shared. And, you know, you also said at one point, and this I think goes along with that, is I grew up in a house where our mother made our clothing. We didn't have a lot of money, so we learned how to scrimp, and we learned how to invent, how to create, and those are learned skills. And that kind of message keeps coming back with how you were raised and the life you've lived. Yes, and certainly for my brother, who can't be here today with us, but he became an inventor, and he filed a patent, and he had the fastest time in racing. He was he uh, built his own cars, built his own engines. Wow. He was so gifted. And I say I'm the only member of Congress that has a Bridgeport mill in our garage because of all of his work and what he tried to do. For me, if I weren't doing this job, I would be doing 7,000 other things, including I'd probably own a Polish bakery uh, in Toledo and um, bring recipes back that I truly appreciate that I don't see much on the shelves anymore. Yeah, interesting. So where does the Holy Toledo come from? Boy, that's a because good I looked at it, and there's a lot of different interpretations. Well, I think maybe Danny Thomas helped with that, because Danny Thomas was from Toledo, and he was a movie yes. star. And uh, he used to always say on his program, you know, uh, Holy Toledo. Now, I don't know if he's the one that started I really don't know. But Toledo's motto, a motto is to work, laborare, and to pray. Orari, to work and to pray. And in many ways, work is a prayer. Yeah. And so uh, the motto kind of fits with that Holy Toledo slogan. Interesting. Interesting. Because it is part of our part of our common expressions. expressions. Yes. And people, I don't think, have any idea why they're saying it, by the way. But it just gets said. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to just sort of 
switch it up to some quicker questions just to get to know you. And you can answer with one word or you can elaborate, but we'll call this like the rapid questions, okay. but I won't be that rapid. Hope I can remember uh, the answers. Yeah, you will. What is your favorite sound? Go in. Ah, nice. What is your favorite color? Pink. What is your favorite smell? Coffee cake. I, I knew it was going to be a bakery. <laughs> I knew it would be a bakery item. Coffee cake. Is it the cinnamon? Uh, it's a Polish coffee cake. It doesn't have a lot of cinnamon except on the topping. But it's just this rich, wonderful smell of the earth that comes from the oven. I love Yeast. It. Yeah. Who would you say has been your biggest cheerleader in your life? Oh, our family. Mother and father. I'm sticking with food. You get to a desert island and you can only have one meal. What would it be? Oh my goodness. Spaghetti. <laughs> okay. What kind of sauce? Just curious since we're on um, Marinara, probably. Maybe some hamburger in it. But okay. Meatballs sometimes, but not always. I'm getting this mm -hmm. from you that you have a lot of interesting qualities. What would you call your superpower? Getting you... things done. So that's your superpower. Getting things done. Even if it takes 15 or 16 years. And you're still working on it. I am. I love that. Do you have a quote or a mantra that you live by that like you keep saying, I know you have some from your family, your parents, but in your um, own. Just live your life for others. You probably have traveled a lot, but where is like in the world have you not been that you would love to go? I don't think I'd be a good person in outer space. I don't think I'd really be good at that. So you're not signing up for one of those. But yeah, yeah, but in terms of global travel, I've traveled a great deal um, boy, that's a really hard question for me. I don't care for being underwater for a long time. Don't really care for that, so I don't think that the deep seas would be in, on my list there. Well, I'll tell you, one of the best trips I ever took was to Switzerland, and walking among the gardens that they implanted, their vegetable fields were beautiful. So it would be some place where people were growing plants, and where there was a lot of tending to the earth. I think those places interest me. This is why. Uh, yes, nature. Going back to your district, which I know is both sides of Toledo, what is special about the people and what is special about that area for you? They're kind. There's an ethic that operates when people come to our area, in general of, of uh, Northwest Ohio in particular, mm -hmm. And I think it's because of the various religious groups that have settled there over the years of all denominations, mm -hmm. all denominations, they have created an ethic that you can feel and see evidence of. I'm not saying we have a perfect place, that's for sure, but there is a giving spirit and a kindness that I don't find in other places. For instance, here in Washington, you know, you come out of a gas station and no one waits for you to come out onto the street. They run you right over. If you come to Toledo, someone will stop and they'll let you go off. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. There's That still operates. There's a I kindness. Like I like that very much. It's a kindness. A kindness. So I'm going to go into our last question, which is sort of based on that. And I think you've talked a lot about it indirectly, but... The last question that I've asked leaders is, what is your definition of joy? What brings you joy? And then if you are joyful, 
and you share that joy with others, what does that feel like and what does that look like? Well, there's all kinds of joy. I think we live in a society where there's a lot of battering, right? There's a lot of uh, sounds. You can hardly go to any place where there isn't a sound. There's no quiet. Mm -hmm. I like the quiet of nature and the power of nature. And wind. So that gives me joy. I like to watch the earth come alive in the spring, all right? I like to watch bees. I like to get in with the tempo of nature. There's a book written, A Last Child in the Woods. I worry about our children because they're bombarded with too many many stimuli, and they are not at once with nature. And nature has a power much bigger than anything we could create, right? And so I think one thing we should do is encourage activity that moves children back into nature. That book, Last Child in the Woods, perfectly describes what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it used to be we welcomed nature. We went into nature. We were taught about it. We, we learned about the environment. Now many children are afraid of it. When I take some children to the Great Lakes, mm-hmm. they're afraid of the water. Okay, well, they have to be taught about waves. They have to be taught about water. They have to be... So I think we have to think hard about helping people be steady Mm -hmm. in their lives by emulating the pace of nature and not be impatient and gain strength through symmetry with it. I think that there's a disconnect in this modern age uh, with nature, and I I think it's not healthy. Well, I, I appreciate that because I've not heard that take on it, but yet I really do think that you are right, which is there is a joy to some of the most simple things and things that we have in nature, but we're so busy texting and calling and doing that we sometimes forget to actually just put the electronics and put the stimuli aside and just enjoy and put ourselves in places that are stimulating, and that is joyful. Yes. And I actually think... in. When people have that opportunity, they go back and they actually are kinder and softer and they are not as um, wound up. It wound up. Right. And as we wind up (laughs) on our final moments, I just want to say thank you. Thank Thank you you for coming. Thank you for all you have done for this country, for your state, and for women. And I think about where you were rejected and you just kept going. And they didn't take you in those places, but you showed him, and you were the longest serving congresswoman, (laughs) and that is really impressive. And I hope that young men and young women who are listening understand really what an accomplishment that is. And that is really special. And that is, I hope, what people will understand is special about our country, that we have that ability, but we just have to keep pushing forward. There will be always somebody that catches your ball. There will always be somebody, you know, another window opens, another window, and it just happens in life. And you have to follow your passion. Uh, I always say to the young people, it's surprising. Because, you know, I say, if nobody in your family ever played the flute and you really want to do that, you do that. And they're like surprised, you know, and to talk to them, and what do you really want to do? What? And they're, you know, struggling with that. And find your passion. And you will be successful. I agree. We're going to stop on that because that's the best line to end. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, it's Liz. Please join me every Tuesday for coffee to talk about heart and humanity with our elected leaders. Ciao.